0: Yes. As I said earlier, I know I promised that we would move into another book and uh, exposit it, preach it verse by verse, uh, and I'm serious about that, but the Holy Spirit has led me to continue this kind of mini-sermon series that I've more or less fallen into. I didn't anticipate doing this. This has happened to me several times in my years of preaching. Uh, the Lord takes me in a different direction than I had planned uh, I've enjoyed this series very much, this mini-series, looking at men and women who have trusted God and obeyed Him uh, in their lives. It wasn't a matter of uh, merely doing religion. It wasn't a matter merely of, of talking. It wasn't matter, uh, a matter of, of simply hearing the Word of God. It's a matter of doing the Word of God. We've been seeing this in the, in the lives of these men and women, and I, I just couldn't leave it. I as I was praying this week about what to preach, Moses was just in my head. And and I couldn't get Moses out of my head, and so I knew that the Lord wanted me to talk uh, about him and his life of faith. I guess this sermon series, we could call it Our God is Awesome and We Should Live Like It. Amen? Our God is awesome and we should live like that's true. Right? We've been talking about that He can be He's God enough, how have we been saying it? He's God enough to obey in hard obedience. He's God enough to trust in hard providence. Amen? Whatever God calls us into, He's God enough to obey. Whatever God uh, brings us through as far as trials are concerned, He's God enough to trust. So these are some of the foundational truths we've been looking at the last four or five weeks he is the God of Psalm 99, 1-3, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble, he's enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. He's the God of Isaiah 41, who's infinitely good and loving, a God who's wholly committed to his people. I love this verse. I could, if I could, I'd work it into every sermon. Uh, the prophet Isaiah says, do not fear, for uh, God says, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These men and women believe this about God. That He was a reigning God and that He was a God who was committed to them. We also saw in Lamentations chapter 3 that He's a faithful God. His kindnesses never cease. They are new every morning. And you heard the text read, right? Moses said, Who shall I say sent me? (laughs) And God says, I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. The only God. The uncreated God. The unbegun God. The only God there is. All other gods are pretenders. All other gods are masquerading. They're false gods. There is no God but our God, beloved, in light of that fact. We that's why we're still here. I guess I say it to you almost every week, it's why we're still here. You're supposed to live like your God's God. And people are supposed to see you live like your God's God, and they're supposed to ask you about your God. My God is Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the Creator God, the Redeemer God. The God who spoke heaven and earth into existence. If He is God, if He is sovereign, if He is good, if He is faithful, if He is committed to us, then how should we then live? And I've been making the case that we should live with monster faith, right? I don't think I've used that term yet. But our faith should be be on display out in the world. Not just simply in the church, but out in the world. We live our faith huge and large because our God is God. Because our God is an irrepressible God. We worship Him with glad, reckless joy in our obedience, even when it's risky. And we trust Him with no questions asked, even in the trial. I'm not saying we don't struggle in the trial, but we don't demand an accounting from God in the trial. Your mature Christian does not demand an accounting from God in the trial. We know it's from His hand. We know it's passed through His hand. We know He's a sovereign God. We saw it in the book of Job. So, I've been challenged. I hope that you have been as we've looked at God and asked the question, how should we then live? We should live as disciples. So, at least one more sermon about this. I don't know. Maybe there will be another. I don't know yet. Um, I guess God's not through challenging you and challenging me on this point. Um, maybe some of us are not yet convinced that we should live as radical disciples. Maybe, maybe you're not yet convinced. Well, maybe tonight you'll be convinced. Uh, or maybe we just need a little more encouragement from the Word of God to actually be doers of the word it's what true faith has always looked like from Noah to Paul it's always looked like this risk taking faith it's all, the, the it's all through the bible it's you know it's always looked like this read your scriptures it's always looked like this you know you're either all in with god or you're nowhere with god i mean really and i'm just talking to you from the bible You're either all in with Jesus or you're nowhere with Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you're all in, right? (laughs) You can't help but be all in if you know Him. If you've met Him, you can't help but give yourself away to this beautiful God. It's it's impossible if if you've met Him. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. There's no squishy, comfortable, manageable, religious middle place with God. You either love Him or you don't. You either believe Him or you don't. You either trust Him or you don't. You either follow Him or you don't. You either seek to obey Him or you don't. There's no middle place to be with Jesus Christ. As one old dead preacher said, God calls men and women to worship Him with their obedience, but instead they try to fool Him with their religion. Do you think God's fooled? (laughs) Does anybody in this room believe that God can be fooled with a little bit of religion? Obviously, millions in pseudo Christianity believe that. I can do some pseudo Christian religion and God will be fooled. I don't actually have to follow Jesus, I don't actually have to do what Jesus says. <laughs> Beloved, it's a lie. It's a satanic lie. Millions believe it. I can live any way I want and call myself a Christian. It's a lie. It's a joke. It's a sham. I think we've said that many, many times in this place. As you know, sadly, there are many false teachers who assert that you can have Jesus as Savior, but never submit to Him as Lord. It's, again, it's a demonic lie. If you actually read your Bibles and really not even uh, with a, well, I'll just say it this way with a superficial read of the Bible, you, you understand that that simply is not true. That simply is not true. Jesus says, why do You call Me Lord and not do what I say? And we know what happens in Matthew 7. Jesus said, there will be many who will say to Me, Lord, Lord, I did a lot of religious stuff. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know who You are. It's not about religion, beloved. True Christianity is not about religion. It's about the relationship. Jesus says, we talked about it in men's Bible study this last week, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. The, bl- the true believer, the born-again believer, the true Christian, is serious about obedience. Amen? We're serious about obedience. We're serious about submitting to the will and authority of Jesus. We're serious about doing the Word. None of us do it perfectly. Regarding obedience, the true believer is never flawless, but he is ultimately relentless. I'm not talking about perfection. But I'm talking about when we do sin, we are ready to confess it. We are ready to forsake it. We are ready to be washed clean. And we are ready to get up and be a disciple. Once again. So, it's what real Christianity looks like. Christianity is not some small-minded religious affair. As Jesus has indicated, it's a heart-exploding love affair. That's what it really is at its core. I've told you this many times. People ask me, Jim, how how can I know I'm a Christian? You'll love Jesus. I mean, there's many ways to answer that question. I acknowledge that. I could answer that in many, many ways. The ultimate way for me to answer that question is, you will love Him. It's the way Jesus defines it, actually. (laughs) He says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You will do what I say. So tonight, I just want to spend a few minutes. I want to look at the life of Moses. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a relentless man. He went with God, and God did awesome things through him. And here's the application. (laughs) God wants to do awesome things through you. You know, you're not going to deliver the Jews from Egypt. That gig's been taken. That's been done. But there's something God has for you to do right here in Milan to make Jesus great. That Jesus might be seen in your orbit. That Jesus might be worshipped in your orbit. That Jesus might be known in your orbit. That people would come to Him through your witness, through your life, through your words and deeds, People would see the reality and the beauty and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Moses is, um, as you know, some of you, I I trust that most of you in here, if not all of you, know, Moses' life of faith actually begins with his parents. Um, This is a weighty reality that that uh, you parents and future parents need to take note of as Moses is conceived. You guys know what's going on. Pharaoh is afraid of the expanding population of the Hebrews. He's issued an edict that all male children should be put to death. Moses' parents, they had a choice. Would they obey the Pharaoh? Would they save their boy? We know what they did by faith. The Word of God tells us in Hebrews 11, by faith. They chose to save their son. Hebrews 11.23 says, They were not afraid of the king's edict. And at the risk of death, they saved their son. So, parent, future parent, do you see how far reaching your faith as as a parent is? Do you see that your kids need to see how you love Christ, how you risk for Christ, how you obey Christ, how the king's edict is second to God's edict. Do you see that you're supposed to instill this in your children? Because of the faith of Moses' parents, Moses became a prophet of God ultimately and became one of the greatest men who ever walked on the planet. It started with his parents. Do you understand? This is a point I'm trying to make to, to you guys who are parents and who will be in the future. What are you setting in motion for your kids? Are you giving them a godly legacy, an inheritance of faith? Are they exposed your children? Are they exposed to the beauty and the greatness of God through your faith? Do they see you face the challenges of life by faith? Do they know your God's competent? Because you trust Him in the hard spot? And they they get to watch God faithfully deliver you in that hard spot? Are your kids seeing that? <laughs> Beloved, these are the simple things we're supposed to be teaching our children. You know, even unbelievers know this. The most important teacher that, that a child will ever have is who? You, as a parent, they are watching. They're not just listening, they are watching how you live. And I want to say this to you know, to, to point your child relentlessly by your life and deeds and words to Jesus, that is the best gift you can give them. It's the best way you can love your kids. The most important thing your kids need to understand. From you is that Jesus Christ is God, and nothing's more important than that. Absolutely nothing is more important than Him. So, from Exodus 2, we learn that after three months, when Moses' mother could no longer hide him, she put him in a waterproof basket and put him in the reeds of the Nile. And by an accidental, fortuitous chance occurrence, we talked about last week, oh, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Well, let me back up. By the sovereign providence of God, right? Doesn't that sound better? By the sovereign providence of God, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and she decided to adopt him. Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt at the zenith of its power. Egypt was the wealthiest and most powerful nation of that day. So he was raised in the royal court. He was highly educated and cultured. You may remember what Stephen said about Moses over in Acts chapter 2. Stephen said this, and Moses was educated in all the learning of Egypt, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Exodus 2 also tells us that Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. Moses knows he's a Hebrew. He defends the slave. He kills the Egyptian. Pharaoh hears about it. The wrath of Pharaoh is about to fall on Moses. And Moses leaves Egypt. He goes to Midian. He meets a woman. He gets married. He has a child. And he becomes a shepherd. And then in Exodus 3 and 4, God comes to Moses. Don't you love it? <laughs> you know, this is what happens. God just he just comes. In, in the middle of a normal day, He just comes. Right? <laughs> he, he just shows up. And He comes to Moses and He calls Moses to, to bring Israel out of Egypt. You know the story. And Moses struggled mightily with this call. If you go read the text, you realize he tried to excuse himself. Do you know how many times Moses tried to excuse himself? From God's call, five times. Moses tried to excuse himself. Moses' excuses are pretty lame. They're just like yours. <laughs> and they're just like mine. Because whenever we encounter God and He calls us to do something bigger than ourselves, our natural inclination is unbelief. Our natural inclination is to defer. Our natural inclination is to say, Well, not me, God. But God is saying, Yes, you. I want you. I want you. Moses said, Well, what about this? God says I'm God. Moses said, What about this? What about the other thing? God says I'm God. Moses says, Well, there's this other thing about my speech. I'm God says I'm God. I'm God over that, Moses. Moses says there's one more thing. God says, I'm God over that too. Right? Moses is just like you and me. You know, when when we're confronted with a huge opportunity to obey, many times the natural inclination is to shrink back, to play it safe. Listen, beloved disciples, this is not what the Lord is calling us to. God expects us when He calls us to obey. So Moses got it. He believed it. He believed that he was called by God and he decided to obey this great God and live like this God is God and an awesome God. This is what Moses did with his life. He gave his life to this God. He, just, he gave him his life. He gave his life to do a thing that he really in his own mind thought was impossible. But because his God was God, his God was great, he was willing to go to Egypt in obedience. He obeys even though he must tremble. It's that way with you, right? If you've been a Christian very long, you realize there are times you have to tremble when God calls you to do a thing. You tremble in your own you know, human understanding that's bigger than my resume, God. That's so huge, I could never do that. Of course you can't do it. <laughs> He's going to do it through you if you'll believe Him. And that's what we see in Moses' life. Right? Moses just said, I believe. I believe. God did the rest. So if we really believe He is who He says He is, if we really believe that He's a promise keeper, we won't be trying to simply play religion with God. We'll be going with God. Listen, beloved, I know some theologians have a problem with this word, but this is a word that, that, that... that comes to McCarran and I a lot. It's just fun to do what God tells you to do. It's just fun. There's joy. There's joy in doing what God tells you to do. God's in the middle of it, and He brings you joy. If you do believe God's God... You will be like Moses. You will look at your God, your great and awesome and majestic God. You will fight through your doubt and your unbelief. You will believe and you will obey. I love how Hebrews eleven twenty four 24-27 talks about Moses' pilgrimage of faith. Listen to what it says. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward by faith he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is unseen do you do you, do you hear do you hear the, the true believers looking at God i see him who is unseen that's why I can do huge obedience. That's why I can do monster obedience. Because I believe in Him who is unseen. And I'm looking at the reward, the future reward. We've been saying it a lot, Hebrews eleven six. 6. I believe God's God. I believe God's good. I believe He's a rewarding God. Ergo, I'll obey this God. It's silly not to. If we, if we really believe what we say, we believe. I've had those epiphanies in my life where I was really trying to you know, veer off into un- uh, uh, disobedience. And the Lord would come to me, <laughs> either through a passage or in my prayer time, say, don't you believe? don't you believe that I am who I say I am? Don't you believe that I'm trustworthy? Don't you believe I'm a competent God? Jim? Don't you believe what you say you believe about Me? Don't you believe it? Listen, if you're a Christian, God's going to bring you to that place where you're going to have to step out and actually do what you say you believe. It always happens. It always happens in Scripture. It will happen in your life as well. So Moses had to make a decision. Was he going to align himself with the world and the pleasures of Egypt, the comfort of Egypt, the luxuries of Egypt, or was he going to align himself with God? and the people of God. It was a decision that Moses had to make. It's the same decision you have to make. You have to decide. Am I going to align myself with the world? It's much easier in the short term to align myself with the world. Or am I going to align myself with God and the people of God? It's the same decision you have to make, beloved. The decision that Moses made. I love what John Piper says in this regard. He says, you cannot legitimately do both. And we know, don't we? We know many so-called Christians who think they can do both. I can straddle the fence. I can love the world and I can love God too. Right? Beloved, if you love God, you will not love the world. It's an oxymoron. It's, it's almost blasphemous. Really. You know, when some hear Jesus talk about radical obedience, what they hear is loss. That's loss. I don't want that. That's loss. That's risk, and that's loss. What others hear When Jesus makes that radical call to discipleship, they hear gain. So I want to ask you, what do you hear? (laughs) When Jesus Christ calls you, and He is calling you to radical obedience, He's calling you to discipleship. It's the only reason He's left you on the planet. If God's calling you to that, what do you hear? Do you hear loss or do you hear gain? if we know our Bibles, if we know our Lord, we hear infinite gain. That's what we hear. Jesus says, go with Me, it's going to be hard. We hear gain. <laughs> we hear joy. Yea, though they slay Me, or yea, though you slay Me, whatever comes, comes. The trial will come. The persecution will come. Martyrdom may come. Probably not for most of us in this room, but it may come. There's still joy. still joy for the believer. I love what John MacArthur says here about Moses' choice. He says, from a worldly perspective, Moses is sacrificing everything for nothing. But from a spiritual perspective, he is sacrificing nothing for everything. Do you understand? It's all about perspective. Are you looking at the world and loving it? Or are you looking at God and loving Him? That's really what it comes down to, beloved. It comes down to that for every single man, woman, boy, and girl. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. It's all in our perspective. What do you truly value? Moses weighed it out, right? I value God above all things. I value God. I value God above all things. Hebrews 11.26 He was looking to the reward. Hebrews 11.27 He was looking at Him who is unseen. You've heard me say it many times. His God view or heaven view, it informed His world view. I hope that's true of each one of us. As we look at God, our calculus changes when we factor God in we really can't give ourselves to the world anymore. It's just too small for us. It's too small to chase that stuff. That stuff doesn't really, it doesn't really capture my affections anymore. When we really look at God, this is the, the process of Moses. We do understand Colossians 3.2. We set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So God gave Moses an angelic army and a lot of weaponry, right? To go and deliver... Um, the Jews, right? Wrong. What did God give Moses? A revelation of Himself. That's really all you need. (laughs) You remember, God says, what's that in your hand? What was it in His hand? A a staff. It's really just a stick. God says, okay, I'll deliver My people with that stick. (laughs) Listen, Listen, when God calls you to do a thing, man, you you don't have to worry about resource. God's going to bring the resource, right? God's going to bring the resource. God says, I'll deliver my people, Moses. If you'll believe me, if you'll just walk down to Egypt with that stick, I'll knock them out with it. I'll take Egypt down with that stick. Listen, when God calls you to do something, beloved, just do it. Just do it. I love it, I love it. What's that in your hand? You say, well, Jim, I don't don't have anything. I don't have what it takes to do what God is calling me to do. Wrong. Do you believe Him? Do you have God-given faith? If you have God-given faith, that's all you need. That's all you need. If you believe He's God... Whatever you have, God will enable you to do what He's called you to do. It made me think of the Jews, you know, with the trumpets at Jericho. It was a joke. They just marched around Jericho some and then they blew a horn. God brought the walls down, right? made me think of Gideon with his 300 men outnumbered 450 to 1. God routed the enemy. made me think of David with his slingshot, you know? As he stepped in front of Goliath, it made me think of the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. He simply gave them to Jesus and Jesus did a miracle. You say, well, Jim, my hands are empty. (laughs) If you know God, that's all you need. You don't need any props. If you know God, that's all you need. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Amen? Do you believe it? You've only got a few minutes left, beloved. You've got a few moments on the planet, beloved. You're a vapor upon the earth. Don't waste another day being afraid in the world. Your God is God. And your God will accomplish all His good pleasure through you as you humble yourself in obedience. And I want to make another point. There's a fascinating and indispensable truth that we need to see here as we look at Moses' life of radical faith. Yes, he believes God. He trusts God. He obeys God. He goes with God. And he sees and experiences more of God than any man who has ever lived. I want you to think about it. Nobody since the fall had seen more of God than Moses had seen. I want you to think about it. He experienced the presence of God in the bush. He witnessed God... Crush Egypt with His sovereign power. He saw God open the Red Sea. He walked through it. He ate the manna from heaven. He drank water from a rock. He received the Ten Commandments directly from God. He saw firsthand both the grace and wrath of God in the Jewish camp. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, There was no prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. So I think it's safe to say no man had ever seen more or known more of God than Moses. But Moses knew one more thing. And this is the point I want to buttress my first point with. Your God's awesome. You need to obey Him. The second, thing I want to, the second major point I want to make. Moses knew he hadn't seen anything yet. And if you're walking with God, you know that too. Moses knew he hadn't seen anything yet. And if you turn over to Exodus 33, I think it is. Remember, Moses is praying. He says, Lord, show me Your glory. Don't you love it? Moses had seen all this stuff, but he knew he hadn't seen anything yet. Lord, show me Your glory. Don't you love it? The man who's seen more of God than anyone that we're aware of He said, show me your glory. I love that prayer. It's the prayer A.W. Tozer says that God delights to hear and answer. When was the last time you asked God to show you His glory? That's a challenge for you and me. It's something we we ought to be praying, beloved. And you see God's glory as you go deeper into obedience. You know, the things, you can't separate these two things. Some people say, well, I, I, I don't feel the power of God in my life. Are you obeying God? Are you doing the hard thing that God's asked you to do? Are you honoring God in your life, in your career, in your family, in your money? Are you honoring God? Are you obeying the Lord in all the small things He's called you to do? The thing that the true believer discovers, the maturing Christian discovers, is that obedience is not about ought and should. You hear me say this a lot. It's not about, well, I ought to do that or I should do that. Yes, you ought to do that and you should do that, but it's not that. It's I desire to do this because disclosure comes. We're studying John 14 in men's Bible study. You guys know the great text, John 14, 21. Jesus says, If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments and I will disclose Myself to you. You say, well, Jim, I'm not getting much God disclosure in my life. Well, let me ask you this. Are you loving Jesus and worshiping Him in your obedience? Jesus says, if you do, if you will, I will come to you. I will show you my glory. I love how David writes it in Psalm 63. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Is this your prayer, beloved? Is this your prayer? The psalmist in Psalm 42 says, My soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Moses had seen more of God than any man had ever seen post-fall. And he wants more. I know there's more. I want to see more. This is what we'll spend a billion eternities doing. Delighting in the fullness of God. Delighting in the glory of God. Delighting in simply who God is as He fills up our hearts and souls and minds for a billion eternities. It's a big deal with God. He means for His people to delight in who He is. And that's really what we've been talking about for the last four or five weeks. Esther delighted in God. She obeyed. Job delighted in God and came through the trial, right? Gideon delighted in God and obeyed. Moses is delighted in God and he has obeyed. And God just keeps revealing Himself to Moses. You know, that's one thing I remember when I, was, when I first became a Christian. The first thing I, the first thing I ever studied was Genesis I was watching this relationship with Abraham and God. And you, if, if, when you just read through the book of Genesis, you just see how God keeps coming to Abraham. God, you know, Abraham keeps obeying, God keeps coming to Abraham. And I thought to myself, that's what I want for the rest of my life, right? That's what I want. I want God to keep coming to me. I want that disclosure. I don't want it to ever stop. Keep coming to me. Show me your glory, God. Beloved, it comes when? It comes as you humble yourself under His will and authority and you obey Him as best you can. And when you fail and when you fall and when you sin, you confess that sin and He's faithful and just to, to forgive you and wash you and cleanse you, right? And you get up again and I'm a disciple again. I'm a, uh, you know, it's a new day. I'm clean in Christ. I'm whole in Christ. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. Amen? Beloved, that's who we are. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. who we're supposed to be. I love what Jonathan Edwards says, that great theologian. He says, there'll never be a time when there's no more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. That's what eternity will be like. Heaven will not be boring because Jesus Christ is there. There'll be manifold... um, What's the word I'm looking for. Secondary joys, but our principal joy will be delighting in who He is. Delighting in the glory of Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ. I've been a Christian for 30 years. (laughs) I know I haven't seen anything yet. I hope you know that too, beloved. I hope you know that too. And I hope you're giving yourself to that reality. I haven't seen anything yet. Man, I want more of God. Man, I'm going to keep on. It's not because I ought and should. It's desire. Obedience is driven by desire. I love this God. I want the disclosure of this God. I want to know more of this God. I want to be in relationship, deeper relationship with this God. That's what drives obedience. It's not ought and should. We're not rule keepers here. We're lovers. We're lovers who are hopelessly in love with a beautiful God. Moses says, Show me. Your glory. In the NAS, that's the translation I use, the New American Standard, there's an exclamation point. (laughs) Moses says, show me Your glory. I want to see it. It's what I really want. It's my core desire to see Your glory, God. To know Your glory, God. To taste Your glory, God. Isn't it a beautiful prayer? I love it. I want you to hear this sentence. Moses has figured it out. <laughs> Moses has learned that God created Moses to fill up Moses with God. Did you get it? Do you know that yet? You say, no, Jim. I, uh, my most important function is I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a this down at the job, or no, I'm a parent, or no, I'm a this. or I'm, I'm an important member of the body of Christ. I, I, do, I do this function in the church. Listen, those are legitimate things. But what you need to know is God has created you to fill you up with Himself. And beloved, that's what He's talking about when He says you're to be the salt and the light. You're supposed to beam God. You're supposed to be luminous and salty in the world. That's who we are called to be. Moses learned that God created Moses to fill up Moses with God. And Moses says, show me Your glory. Beloved, I hope this is a lesson that we take to heart. It's what Paul is saying when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. We don't live like this because we're religious. We live like this because He is the most awesome Beautiful, wonderful, loving, engaging, alluring, fascinating, interesting, intelligent, and compelling person we have ever met. Knowing God. I was sharing this with someone just recently. Knowing God, loving God, walking with God, following God, obeying God, this is worship. It's not merely what we do here. This is a a function of worship. This is worship. We honor God uh, uh, to come and and, uh, worship together as the body of Christ on this day that He has set aside for us to do so. But every day you get up is worship how you do your jobs worship how you prosecute your studies is worship how you love your wife and your husband is worship how you relate to your friends is worship it's all worship beloved the biggest part of worshiping God is knowing and desiring him this is This is why Jesus hates lukewarm religion. It's why He says, man, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of My mouth. I don't have have anything in common with you. If you're lukewarm, how could you be lukewarm about Me? Right? (laughs) The God who says, I am infinitely above the nations, they are nothing to Me, but He died for them. Think about that. He said, the nations are nothing before Me, but then He died for them. How could you be lukewarm about that? If you're lukewarm about it, you've not understood it. You've simply not understood it. You've not really believed it. God hates lukewarm religion. Read your Bible. He hates it. He says it's not about how you talk about me. It's how you live. I don't want it just on your lips. I don't want it just want it on your lips. I want it in your life. I want it in your heart. I want you to live for me and love me. I want to say to you that you know, this kind of Christianity is addicting. I mean, <laughs> once you start down this path of, and some of you could give testimony, I'm sure, but once you start down this path of obedience, um, and, and Jesus just keeps coming, man. That disclosure keeps coming. and He shows up, and He shows up, and He shows up, and He shows up. Every time you obey, He shows up. It's like, I want more of this. <laughs> I, want, I want more of this. I don't want this to stop. I want more of God. I want God to reveal His glory to me as He calls me to follow Him. Once we understand this, we, once we really understand that God, God is our reward. I've said it to you many times. As He told Abraham, when we realize that God is our reward, We will not settle for anything less than radically obeying Jesus Christ. We will not settle for anything less. Because radical obedience means radical disclosure from God and radical disclosure from God means radical joy in our lives. Moses knew more about God than any man who had ever walked the planet, but he knew something else about God. He knew he hadn't seen anything yet. I hope you know that, beloved. And I hope you will pursue God for the balance of your days. That He won't be some side issue in your life. That He will be the issue in your life. And when He is the issue in your life, you'll know how to love your wife. You'll know how to love your husband. You'll know how to raise your kids. You'll know how to do your job. You'll know how to to be a good friend. You'll know how to be a good colleague. You'll know how to function in the church, to love the church, serve the church. You'll know all those things. through knowing Him and loving Him. Paul is right, and I'll close with this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We can't live small because our God is God. We can't do it. We can't do it. Impossibile. We can't do it. We've seen Him. We've met Him. And He is so beautiful. He is so compelling. He is so awesome. I've said it to you before. I dare you to stop me from going with this great God. Try to stop me. Listen, if you've really met Him, you can't be stopped. Oh, you may trip up. You may become distracted. We all do at times. But my challenge to you, one of the challenges tonight look at God. Look at God. Be still and know He is God. Look at God and let that inform every other aspect of your life, beloved. Don't you love Moses? (laughs) Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you really want? Of course it is. If you're in Christ, that's what you want. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this word. As always, thank you for the witness of your servant Moses. He was afraid, just like we are at times. But he decided to believe. And you did a mighty thing through him. You delivered your people. One man who believed with a stick. One man had a stick. And an awesome God. Lord, I pray we would understand how this is an example for us. Lord, I pray we would understand that faith is not about us. Faith is always about You. Faith is about how we see You. Obedience is about how we trust You. Lord, I pray that You would light our hearts, all of us in this room, that You would set our hearts on fire. That we would desire to so know You and so love You and so serve You. That we would give ourselves away in radical obedience. We know we have a few moments left, O Lord. We pray that we would be good stewards of it. O Lord, show us Your glory in this church and in each of our lives. For Lord, we know we we have not seen anything yet. And we know that You will fill a billion eternities, filling our hearts and minds with Your beauty and Your greatness. We give all praise, glory, and honor to our awesome Creator and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Shall we? We'll just dismiss tonight. I think I ran a little long. We'll just dismiss tonight. So, you heard the Lord. I've heard the Lord. You know, the preacher, as I've told you many times, is preaching to himself. So, uh... Yeah, let's go with God. Go with God this week. Go with God this week. Make much of Jesus this week. God bless.